Some people like characters that they hate. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Who are these people? Readers, Michael. They're called readers. <laughs> <laughs> hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 156. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, I have a few more book tour stops for I'd Rather Be Reading happening this fall. I would love to meet you at Nashville's Indie Parnassus Books on Friday, October 26th. That's at 6.30 p.m. It's free and open to all. On Friday, November 2nd, I will be at Cincinnati's first podcast festival, and you do not need to be a podcaster to attend. Although if you are, we would love to have you all day. I'm recording a live podcast with Beth and Sarah of Pantsuit Politics that Friday night. It's going to be a blast, and all the ticket info you need is at annbogle.com slash events. I'll also be at the Kentucky Book Festival in mid-November. Again, that info is at annbogle.com slash events. It's Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L dot com slash events. More news. There's a special episode coming your way that I want you to know about. The holidays are fast approaching, and as you know, books make the perfect gift. Whether you're shopping for friends, family, coworkers, teachers, but choosing which book is the real dilemma. A special guest and I are coming to What Should I Read Next to help you match your loved one with the perfect readerly gift. There are two ways to be matched with your perfect giftable book. You can record a message at modernmrsdarcy.com slash talk, telling me your relationship to this person, their favorite books, a book you know they don't like, and any other little details you think are useful. Make sure to keep that message under one minute. Or email Brenna at modernmrsdarcy.com, that's our producer, with that same information, your relationship, their favorites, any dislikes you know about, and current reads. Some of your messages will be selected for the upcoming holiday episode, and we will hook you up with the perfect bookish gifts. Readers, clear your calendars. Today's episode might inspire you to rethink and rearrange your whole home library. My friend, Michael and Smith, author of the brand new home decor book, Cozy Minimalist Home, and also The Nesting Place, is joining me to chat about the revelation of ribbon bookmarks, spunky iconoclastic women in fiction, why she doesn't have a library card, books that give you a kick in the pants, and then we delve into seriously controversial territory when we discuss organizing bookshelves by color. What Michael Lynn does to dust jackets might horrify you, but you'll be laughing all the way. Let's get to it. Michael Lynn, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Anne. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk books with you today, especially because this is a big day for you. My book comes out today. Okay, you've been working on this for approximately forever, I think? Yes, three forevers to be exact. Isn't that what it feels like? But in the best sense. Oh, yeah. So the first time I heard the phrase cozy minimalist, I thought it was completely entirely brilliant. You kind of get it, even though maybe you haven't heard it before. When you hear it, you're like, oh, I know what that means. What does it mean to you? To me, it means a person that knows how to balance things. You might not be a sold out minimalist, but you like the idea. You might not be a sold out maximalist, but you appreciate being cozy and layered and welcoming. And so you find yourself somewhere in the middle, which is not a bad thing at all. So I like to say it's someone who can get the most amount of style with the least amount of stuff when it comes to their home. I am so excited that everyone else can read it now because I got to read it early because I endorsed it. And I've been telling people that they need to read it for like nine months now. And 
it's very nice that they can finally actually take action on that suggestion. It's very frustrating when people can't get their hands on the books you're recommending, you know, and I only have so many galleys to hand out. Yeah, that's so true. I was a little disappointed that there weren't like four dedicated chapters to decorating with books in each room of the home. But no, I kid, I kid. It wasn't disappointing. But I do really want to use this opportunity to quiz you on how to decorate with books in the home, because I think you know that when I visited your home, I mean, every time I go to, I take photos and I feel like I need to apologize, but like, you just can't help yourself. There are a couple of photos that I took at your house and they are of books that you had laid throughout your home just to look inviting and welcoming. It's not fussy. I don't know. There's just something about a book with a bookmark in it sitting on a table that looks like people live here. People like curling up on this seat with a book. And I post those every so often, usually do on Sundays and say like Sunday vibes on Instagram. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, this photo is so adorable. The one in particular I'm thinking of, it's Amy Cuddy's book, Presence. Like there's nothing particularly like photo worthy about that book, but the jacket is off and there's a bookmark in it and it's on a textured tray and there's a bunch of ranunculus and you cannot go wrong with ranunculus especially when they have them at Trader Joe's for six bucks. I would really like to explore today your thoughts on decorating with books because you have them in your home, but they're not fussy. They don't take things over and it's very practical display, but it's also really beautiful. I would love that. And I think there's kind of two parts to that. One is like our actual bookshelves and the other is what you just brought up, like just maybe a random book laying around. Well, let's start with the actual bookshelves because I know you do have some strong opinions We'll get there. But is organizing books in a way that looks pretty something that's always come naturally to you? Or is this a skill you've developed over time? I have always wanted to organize my books in a way that looks pretty. It took me a long time to figure out what that was. And when we think about books and there is a time when a book is in your life that you are reading it and that's great. But then like 99% of the time that you have a book in your life, you're looking at the spine So you're not really interacting with it, but you still want to have it around. But the enjoyment that you get out of that book when you're not reading it, for me at least, is visual. Well, first of all, when you think about what to buy and what to borrow, I'm assuming that that's a factor, what they look like. Well, I don't borrow any books. I only buy. And I will tell you why. In my defense, I have nothing against libraries. But when we moved out to the country five years ago... Within the first week, I went to the library, introduced myself, brought my own book and wanted to get my library card. And because we own property in two counties and our address looks like we live in the county that's like, I don't even know where the library is, really far away from us. They were like, oh, no problem. You can get a library card here. You either had to pay like $3, which I was way too cheap for some reason to do that, or just come back with your something that proved where we lived, that we own property in the county, and then I could get a library card. And guess what I never did? I never went back with proof of where I lived. So I have not had a library card for where I live for five years. And I just buy all my books. And I'm good with that. So now you have established habits. (laughs) I just buy books I want to read. How do you decide what you want to read? Well, I don't read as much fiction as I would like. One or two. It depends on the month, like one or two a month. A lot of the books that I read are cookbooks, design books, lots of business books. I love that. Some memoirs and then like some Jesus-y books, of course. So I decide what I'm going to read based on if my friend Caroline tells me, if people on Instagram that I trust, if you tell me to read a book or, oh, book of the month. Mm -hmm. 
Am I allowed to say that on here? (laughs) If it's true about your reading life, you're allowed to say it. It is. (laughs) Okay. So the book comes into your house. You read it. You decide you want to keep it. How how do you decide if you want to keep it? Well, if it's an ugly uh, fiction book that is not hardback, it's gone. As soon as I read it, I see if one of my friends want it or I give it to the Goodwill. Most of the books are hardbacks because they're book of the month books. So if I like it enough to think I might read it again, then I would keep it. Or if I think it's a really beautiful book when it's naked, because we had to take the jacket off because the jacket is always crazy and screaming at me, then I'll keep it. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about your dust jacket philosophy. Okay. Well, I don't like dust jackets. And at first, when I realized like, oh, these books are so beautiful underneath, I kept like a box full of my dust jackets for about a year. And then I realized... I'm never going to put these back on. Like I'm a grown up. I'm allowed to get rid of them. So now I take all the dust jackets off of any books, unless they're just like unbelievably gorgeous. Every now and then that happens. Big magic is gorgeous. So I keep that one on, but for everything else, I take it off because I enjoy my book better that way. If you enjoy looking at your book better with the dust jacket on, or you have your own reasons, you should totally do that. I would never tell someone this is the way to be like the way to be is the way that you're going to be able to find your books the best, the way you're going to be able to enjoy your books the best. So there's no wrong. I think there's no wrong. Like who cares? It's just a book, like do whatever you want with it. But for me, I don't like dust jackets so much that my first book had one and I hated it. So in my contract, I had that it could not have a book jacket. It had to be just a naked book. That is really brilliant. I wonder how often that happens in a contract. I'm guessing not terribly often. (laughs) You mentioned something that I wasn't expecting, and that is that you take off the dust jacket because it's screaming at you. Will you explain that? Well, I just find it to be um, like bossy. If it has a person's face on it, it is over. Like, I do not want to see a person's face. I do not want to see a photograph. So if it does have like a beautiful design, I'm usually good with that. But again, most of the way I look at a book is at the spine. Like most of the time it's living with me. I'm seeing the spine. And there's something about seeing that textured, beautiful, whatever it is, cloth, cardboard, spine that I love and I enjoy seeing. So that's the reason I take it off is so that I can see that pretty spine and I can easily read the name on it. And I like the colors. So my shelves are in rainbowetical order. Again, that's not right or wrong, but that's how I enjoy them visually when I'm not reading them. And also, like when you said Amy Cuddy's book, I was like, it's a yellow book. I know what color my books are because I'm super visual. So I'm able to put my shelves in rainbow etical order and they look pretty to me. They don't get on my nerves and I can also find everything. Aside from Roy G. Biv, what guidelines do you follow to organize your own shelves? Not a bunch, but I will say this. I have learned that I need bookcases that have like a side, solid side. Something about when the sides are either open or like glass or if I can see like the front of books in the back. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So I really need closed insides. That helps me not feel like my books are taking over my house because there is something like, you know, if you go into a room and there's a lot of pattern everywhere, then it's like filling up the space and it is kind of screaming at you. Like here I am, which you can use that for good or evil. But for me, I don't want my books to dictate like how I decorate or what I see. Like I want them to 
quietly be there and serve me. And so putting them in rainbow order for me is a way to like control the chaos and control those colors and control what it looks like. And it works for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. True confessions. I have wavered on whether or not I want the dust jackets or not. I love the look without, but I can't find anything because I remember the color of the jacket, not the color of the actual book. But Mm -hmm. I found a compromise and that is I've started keeping book of the month books that I really, really hate and never intend to read. Sorry, book of the month. But underneath, they put out so many books that are red in really pretty shades of blues and yellows and oranges. And I've started saving those in a separate part of my library and putting those in rainbow order. And I can't decide if I want like a whole bookshelf top to bottom or if I just want one shelf. Right now I have about two. If you want to write about this in your third book, I would totally buy that and sell a million copies to our What Should I Read Next listeners. (laughs) It's so great. Well, and you're a different person. I mean, this is your job. You have a dedicated library, which is gorgeous. And also like part of your living is you have to take photos of books. And if they're all like weird and ugly with people's faces on them, I'm somehow obsessed with people's faces for some reason. (laughs) That's just not going to look good on your Instagram feed. Like yeah, everyone does things different for a reason. And I think because I've had people like literally call me names for doing rainbow medical order. Like, let's just be happy that people have books and enjoy the way they look and can find them. We will put photos in our What Should I Read Next newsletter so people can see exactly what you're talking about. And also, you take beautiful pictures of your books on a regular basis on your Instagram at The Nester, so look that up as well. All right, here's a question. If I came to you and said, I am really struggling with displaying my books, where would you tell me to start? Well, I would keep two things in mind. One is any collection, whether it's books, diamond rings, globes, usually have the most impact and look the best when they are grouped together. So definitely a bookshelf that you love is a great place to start. And there are some people, it can be the most beautiful shelf of books, but something about putting them front and center, like if you're sitting on your sofa and you're facing a shelf of books, that can feel like overwhelming. And so think about where you want to place your bookshelf, if you need it more like in the hallway, out of the way, or if you want it and need it front and center. Then the other thing is what you brought up earlier, like just a couple random books sitting around. And that's something that I talk about in my classes. Like we, I do seasonal classes and we talk about low commitment color because a lot of us, as the season comes and goes, we want to represent that season in our home, but like, I'm not going to go out and buy an orange sofa in the fall. And then in winter, an emerald green sofa, you know, there are some things that we want to be able to change up and have control of that are really low commitment. And books are one of the ways that we can add or subtract or change the color represented in each of our rooms just by what books we display. And so I use that like with pillows or pillow covers. So like a $20 pillow can change your neutral sofa to suddenly make it look bright and, you know, super fun in the middle of the summer, or if you want some neutral tones in the winter. And it's the same with books. So whenever you need a color change in your home, the first thing I would say is like, don't go out and buy a new rug or sofa because those are high commitments. We're going to test them out, test out the color you think you want. You're going to shop your house and look for everything you can find in that color. So if you're like, I think I need to add some pink in my life. You're going to shop your house and most likely we all have pink books. And that's something that I want you to kind of set around in your living room or look and see if you have other 
pink things as well. But since we're talking about books, like that's been such a low commitment way for me to number one, either test out colors and see like, do I really like that color? Or number two, just add some color that maybe I don't want to have to invest in heavily, but I have a stack of pink books. And if I just bring them to the forefront and like set them on my mantle, or like you said, like in the coffee table, it adds a little punch of color. And then it also reminds me like, oh yeah, I forgot about that book and I really like it. And then another thing that I'm obsessed with is making bookmarks just out of random ribbon. So like just yesterday, I got something delivered from Etsy. It was wrapped up in a cute uh, ribbon. So of course, I'm like more excited about the ribbon than I am the actual thing I ordered. And I cut it into bookmarks and slide it in books. So like my goal is for every book in my home to have like a floppy ribbon bookmark sticking out the top of it. Isn't that sweet? Like it just makes it feel... So special. I love that. Even the ones on the bookshelves? Oh, especially, especially if it's like long enough to kind of hang over the front. So it's like bookmark, 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 hanging, you know, over the book, 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 book. I don't know what it adds, but I really like it. I'm going to go back and look at all your pictures of your books now, looking for these bookmarks. I have like 30 that I've done over time. It just hit me like a few weeks ago. Like, I really love that. I'm going to be intentional about trying to make a bookmark for every book out of scrap ribbon, just like they did during the depression. That's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) What was I just going to ask you? Oh, where do you keep the bits of ribbon so that they're handy and not just lying around where it doesn't belong for three weeks? And then you think, why did he even keep this and you throw it away? What's the alternative? There's what you do. You buy yourself some super cute scissors from Target. And you hang them on your wall with an upholstery tack. I have three pair of scissors hanging in my kitchen because I realized I put off so many things in my life because I can't find my dingling scissors. So I have like five pair of scissors in my kitchen, two kitchen shears, three decorative scissors. I'm going to send you a photo when we're off. And what it does is it allows me to do things right away because it wasn't that I was lazy. It was that I couldn't find my scissors. So the ribbon doesn't sit around. You just put it in the books right away. I immediately put it in the book. They're like, if they get married, like, oh, which ribbon will this, this pink ribbon? It's going to go in a yellow book. And I do it immediately. It's so fun. And definitely inspired. Thank you. I have a lot of books. I mean, I'm going to need to order a lot of stuff on Etsy to get that much ribbon. Well, you just, ribbon will come into your life. And now that you are aware of it at Christmas, when your sister-in-law wraps your gifts with real ribbon, you're going to be like, ah, I have bookmarks. Mine does. And I probably threw it away. Okay. <laughs> anymore. You know, the best time to keep the ribbon in your life was a hundred years ago, but the second best time <laughs> is today. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. We need to do a really hard transition into your books. <laughs> All right. You know what we do around here. I'm ready. You get to tell me three books you love, one book you, I think you use the H word, one book you hate and yeah. what you're reading now. And we will discuss what you... I want to make some clever joke about visual display, but I can't do it. We'll talk about what you should read next. (laughs) Yay, I'm excited about this. Reader, let's do this. Tell me about a book you love. Number one, I liked The Great Alone. You liked? I loved it. Okay, there we go. (laughs) And who's that, Hannah? What's her name? Mm -hmm, Kristen Hannah. Well, I love, it was, took place in Alaska, which made me really, really happy. I love things with either lots of history or lots of outdoorsiness, family story. Yeah. I don't know why I loved it. See, this is hard for me. (laughs) It's fast moving. Is that a coincidence? Mm, I don't know. You're going to, you're the psychologist in this. You're going to have to tell me compared to my other books. That might be something because the book I hated was very slow moving. Okay. History and outdoorsiness. Yes. It happens to be fast moving. 
Yeah. Do you like characters that you like? Yes. Okay. You say that like it's obvious, but some people just don't care. Some people like characters that they hate? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Who are these people? Readers, Mike Bloom. They're called readers. <laughs> we have so many You've Got Mail jokes at my house. It's ridiculous. I don't know any people like that. That is fascinating. Okay. Likeable characters, outdoorsiness, history. So Alaska is a really unique setting. Yeah. And I'm a little bit obsessed with Alaska. Like we have watched all the Alaska shows. They're really relaxing for some reason. So I even read that. I mm, see. I can't talk about books and I'm like that book that has the word bear in it. Bear town. <laughs> so I even read that because it takes place like in Canada, I think. But, it, you know, same thing. It's Sweden, <laughs> which is kind <laughs> of the same thing. They're, <laughs> they're both places where it's cold and where they love hockey. Okay. It's where it's cold and where they love hockey. And I think there's wild animals around. <laughs> did you love bear town? No, I did not. I wouldn't have expected you to. Okay. But it was sitting around and I needed a book. That's drives people to make poor book decisions. Oh, yeah. My husband was reading it. So I was like, well, it's here and I don't have another book. I hate it when that happens. It feels like like if you're eating a bad donut, but you wish it was a really good donut and you're wasting the calories. It's the same exact feeling. But at least it's a donut. I think that's where <laughs> you go wrong with the donut and with the book. That's interesting. Okay. Give me more to go on. Tell me about another book you love. Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk. Loved, loved, loved it. Now, I will say, I understand that sometimes we love books because they came to us at the exact right time. And I was done with my work. I think I, it takes place on New Year's Eve. And I think I read it on New Year's Eve, which made me incredibly happy. <laughs> was that just a total coincidence? Total coincidence. Yep. So I was on break. I had a fun book that I enjoyed. I think if I would have known going in that the book kind of takes place all in one day, I would have been like, mm, no, but I loved it so much. Have you read it? I have. It came into my life through Book of the Month Club and I went, oh, that sounds okay. But then my friend was telling me how she read it in her multi-generational book club and the 20-somethings loved it and the 80-somethings loved it and everybody in between loved it and they found so much to connect and talk about. And I was so intrigued by that description because she said that almost never happens in her book club, but it happened with this book. So I went home and pulled it off my shelf and read it immediately. Did you like it? I did like it. So woman goes on a journey through Manhattan, reflecting back on her past. Yes. Okay. So it's definitely wistful. She's sympathetic. She's spunky. Do you like spunky characters? Love spunky characters. I love independent. Make a decision that surprises you. I love all of that. Yes. Okay. And the tone. So it's wistful, but it's not sentimental. And she's definitely iconoclastic and ahead of her time and all that stuff. And you're good at this. I didn't know any of that stuff. But now that you say it, I'm like, yes, I just was like, I like that story. This is why we need people in our lives that are like you. Okay. You point out that every book has a bookmark in it. And I'll tell you when your spunky female protagonists <laughs> are being iconoclastic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this is why we need our fellow readers. Yes. I love that. All right. I see how those two books are similar, but the tone feels very different to me. What's another favorite of yours? Essentialism by Greg McEwen. I'm not really sure how to say his last name. This is your comfort zone, right? Did you make yourself pick those two fiction books? I made myself. So I would be like, look, I read fiction, but I could just talk about like business books all day long or 
design books or cookbooks. So, but I want more fiction in my life. So I wanted to tell you ones that I liked so you could help diagnose me and tell me what to read. <laughs> but I, oh, I could talk about business books all the time. So one of my favorites is Essentialism and I read it every year or sometimes twice a year. I think everyone should read it, whether they have a business or just have a life. What speaks to you about that book? Because that is an impressive number of readings. Oh, it is? You might need more than two hands to count all those. (laughs) Well, uh, that book is permission to say no in ways that make you feel human. There is nothing so enlightening that you're like, wait a minute, what? It's just like a little nod and a nudge to remember that we are human. And if we don't say no to things, then we don't really have a life. And how saying no to lots of good things allows us to say yes to the thing that we should be doing, whereas someone else might need to say no to that very thing. So it's just kind of a study in that. I don't know, just like a million little tips. Like you could just, it's like Proverbs, like you can just flip through it and read something and apply that to your day. I read this once, but that makes me want to read it again. Sometimes you know how you don't want to highlight a book because then the next time you read it, you're like, I'll just read those parts. But for me, this is one where I'm glad I highlighted it because when I go back, I can just read those parts. (laughs) (laughs) So your sister, Emily Freeman, calls you her no mentor, but that's not something that comes naturally. It sounds like that's something that you, that ability to say no is something that you cultivate in part by getting a little kick in the pants once or twice a year from this book. I am on a quest to constantly remind myself to say no to most of the things. The more things that come your way in life, the more things you have to say no to. Like, it's not like, oh, now I get to say yes to lots of things because I had lots of opportunities in my inbox today. Oh no, a big part of my job And I think probably a big part of your job and a big part of lots of women's job is just to be able to say no with grace and confidence. And this book has helped me with that a lot. Okay, Michaelin, tell me about a book that wasn't for you. Would you really choose the hate word? Oh, yeah, I'll throw that around. I hated A Gentleman in Moscow. Tell me more. It was so, I read half of it and then I stopped reading it. But all that happened was he met two ladies. That's it. That's all that happened. He ate meals. He moved his room and he met two ladies. Nothing happened. It was so boring. If I wanted to make an argument for all the people who love it, I did enjoy that book. I would say that this man bravely and brilliantly cultivates a meaningful life for himself while trapped inside a luxury hotel under the hands of the Russians. The reason he's sentenced to solitary confinement is really good, but I'm not going to spoil it because it's a really fun discovery. That's big stuff, but too many words, too many words for too little stuff is what you're saying. That's exactly why I wanted to read it because that makes it sound so interesting. But every page took so long to read. And there's something about, I know when when I feel like a book is taking me a long time to read, that's a red flag. But I do feel weird about hating that book because of the fact that I know so many people loved it. It's probably because they're a lot smarter than me and can get all the nuances. And I'm like, this book is so boring. So that's why I wanted to include it, because I feel like I have some cliche things I like. But here's a cliche thing that everyone likes that I hated. Help me. And what does it mean? Diagnose me. It means you want faster moving stories. Then you have in A Gentleman in Moscow, which is a 500-ish page book where the prose is lovely and I think not a priority for you. Lovely prose, not a priority. 
No. Yeah, you want some action. Yeah. <laughs> also, a lot of his character development is internal. And I think that maybe that's not your reading love language. Yeah. I, I, everything you, every word that has come out of your mouth during this, I'm like, oh, wait, what is a fascinating thing that I never think about? Like, I never think deeply about books. I think deeply about design. I think deeply about family. I think deeply about many, many other things in life. But I never have about books. So this is all really, really fascinating to me. Well, we all have our thing. And this is how I feel listening to you talk about the home. Okay. So just before you get too impressed, we, I'd like to think we all have our thing. <laughs> what are you reading right now? Mm, I'm reading a biography of Queen Victoria because I watched uh, the Victoria series on the BBC and I got obsessed with her. <laughs> I know. So I love that. I'm reading... Another book called An American Heiress, because my friend Caroline told me I would like it. You know, we have those friends in our life that after a few years, like every single thing she's told me to read, I've loved. So I just bought it sight unseen. Like, OK, I will buy that and start reading it. Do you know who wrote An American Heiress? Mm, not off the top of my. OK, the reason I ask is that there are two books that there, I think one might be called An American Heiress and the other is called American Heiress or they're both called An American Heiress and one is by the author of a book that I think you might like. So I was just wondering how close we were getting to what you're currently reading. You know what? I know she said she told me to get it because of the author, but now I wonder if I got the wrong, I don't even know if I got the right one or the wrong one because I didn't realize there were two. Well, that's your homework. Please okay. report back and tell us if you're reading the right or wrong book. Okay. Well, I like it. So I guess. <laughs> so it's not the wrong book. Right. <laughs> Maybe they're yeah, both for you. You can find out. Um, I also just started a book called Rest. It's by Alex. I'm going to mess up his name. Like Sujung Kim Peng with the longest forward I've ever seen in my life by Ariana Huffington. The lady wrote like a 10 page forward. She basically summarized the book. I had to stop reading because I felt like it was spoilers. But um, I saw Rebecca Lyons say something about it on Instagram stories. And whenever someone talks about a book on rest, I'm like sold or a book on creativity sold. And I go buy it immediately. All right. That's good to know about you. So here's what I'm thinking. We've talked a lot about what you like. And based on that, my mind is going toward a lot of novels that are decidedly lighthearted, even though I wouldn't say that about... The Great Alone, and not even Lillian Boxfish. So I don't know what this is, Michaelin. But I keep thinking of these novels that really feature women who are stuck in some way. Well, I do. I think you're onto something too, because let me tell you real quick. TV shows that I watch are kind of the same, where they have to move fast, they get resolved. I can't watch like horror or anything too stressful, but I love a great story and to be entertained. So I think that is kind of showing up in the books that I read too. You said a goal of yours was to read more fiction, but you love nonfiction. Tell me about that goal. Well, it's because when I read nonfiction, it's the same feeling I get when I'm watching a movie that we all get is that we get to like step out of our own brain for a while. And when I read a book on rest, as much as I like it, I'm like taking notes. So it's a type of work that I love, but it doesn't get me out of my head. So I know I need to read stories because that does it for me. Okay. So we are looking for books that get you out of your own head, that move fast, that have characters you like, and that you want to cheer on and see accomplish what they set out to do. And I think we can do it. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. You said Victoria and you need to know that there's a novel by Daisy Goodwin. It just came out a year or two ago. It's fairly recently. 
um, I read it in paperback. I really hope it's not a paperback original for your sake, but it's a fictionalized account of the teenage Queen Victoria. Does this sound promising? Yeah. This is biographical fiction. And Daisy Goodwin has written heaps of really well-received biographical fiction, including a book called The American Heiress. So in this book, Queen Victoria, who has just had this major responsibility brought down upon her, is unhappy with her mother and the way her mother wants the power in her life. She has this huge crush on her prime minister, and she's just met her cousin Albert, and she thinks he's pretty lame and boring. You know how that story actually goes in real life, and I think you really might enjoy watching the way it plays out on the page. And it's 400 pages, but it goes really quickly. It has nice pacing. And I think with biographical fiction, if it's not, this is so easy to do wrong because something that really irks me about biographical fiction is when the tone doesn't seem to suit the person of history that I feel like I know. There feels like this disconnect and it just doesn't work for me, but I think it works this time. I hope it works this time because I haven't seen as much Victoria media as you have. But I think when you do know the story, you read it on a different level. You're not just reading to find out what happens, but you're reading to see how they interpret the story. And there's something about that, how your brain anticipating what's going to happen next and kind of knowing just propels you along through the story. So I think this could be fun for you. What do you think? I think this is the missing piece in my book life. I'll tell you why. Okay. Daisy Goodwin is the person that did the BBC Victoria show. And now it's all coming back to me, Anne. I did not know that. I'm reading the right book because I just looked it up on my phone. And she also wrote The American Heiress, which is what I'm reading. And that is why Caroline told me to read it because she knew she's the one that told me to watch Victoria. So now I'm going to order that. I'm like, why have I not ordered that? Why have I never seen that cover before? What What is happening? Full circle. Can we just stop there? I feel really good about that one. <laughs> okay, we're moving out on a limb. A little bit further. Do you know The City Baker's Guide to Country Living by Louise Miller? No. Hey, are we still recording? Wait, I, mean, I like, was kidding about stopping there. Oh, okay. I'm going to give you three. <laughs> okay. Okay. The City Baker's Guide to Country Living. It's by Louise Miller. And here's something I've been wondering basically since we started talking. You like strong female protagonists, but you haven't chosen books that would be described as like charming. Are you okay with charming and all that implies? It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Well, it's about baking and life and starting over. Okay. And it is about a woman from moves, who moves from a city to a small town, but not in the same way you did, I don't think. And it's written by a pastry chef. And that's something I especially like for you because all the details about baking and cooking that you think are fun are really fun in fiction. And I think you might enjoy that aspect of it. All right. Does that sound intriguing? It does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It really is charming. And some people will be like, nope, not for me. And some people will not be able to write down that title fast enough. So I want you to know that's the direction it's going. It's about love and family. And it's definitely hopeful. And that is something I do strongly see in your books. Yeah. I can't read a book that stresses me out. There will be none of that. You read The Great Alone. That was beautiful. <laughs> It was like 450 pages of domestic violence. Uh, I know, but like there was always hope. I'm trying to think of a book that I was like, no, I'm not reading this. There were some book of the month clubs that were like about abuse and junk. And no, I don't read that. Or if someone gets kidnapped. Well, I did read one about someone that got kidnapped. It was fine. But I don't want to read about murders. 
In that case, you're good. City Baker's Guide. Ooh, I almost forgot, Mike Willen. What? This book is my favorite book color. So the jacket is pretty. I'm not saying it'll be your favorite book color, but when you take the jacket off, it's this really beautiful shade of, it's not green. It's probably blue. Blue with a strong dose of green. It's this very oceanic kind of, it's not aqua because aqua is a little harsh, but it's this very pale aqua-ish blue hint of green color that I just love. When I have books this color, I pull them off and I stack them on a separate shelf because for impact, seeing all those books together in the same color family makes me really, really happy. Yes. What a nice bonus. I'm going to go order two books as soon as we're done here. Have you read The One in a Million Boy? No. A really lovely book. And by lovely, I mean visually appealing. (laughs) You know, the book, the actual book as object is really beautiful. I've talked about this book before because this is This is a book where the description just did not appeal to me at all, but I'd already purchased it when I discovered this because a bookseller that I know and love, she's been on the show, Holland Saltzman, put this in my hands in her bookstore, The Novel Neighbor in St. Louis, and said, I love this. I think you will too. Read it. I was looking for summer reading guide titles at the time. This was several years ago, maybe 2015. And I took it back to the hotel and I opened it and I read the sales copy that said what I was in for. I was like, oh, who thought this was a good idea? No, 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 no. But I read it anyway because I didn't have anything else to read and I loved it so much. So if you look it up and you see the plot summary and you're like, I don't know, I'm with you, but I think, I think it has what you like. So The One in a Million Boy at the center of this book. And what said that wasn't her original title, by the way, that her publisher named it, but I can't remember what she wanted to call it. That's so interesting. I I know. I want to know. I think that's in an interview somewhere, so we can look it up or link it. But The Boy at the Center of this book is a quirky 11-year-old. He loves making lists. He likes things to be in order. He hums to himself. But he's not actually present in the book except for this two-page epilogue at the very, very end. But when something happens to this boy, the people who love him and one stranger are brought together. So this is really a story of unexpected friendships, found family, uh, hope when it seems like there is none. And what I really love about this book is the heroine who is a wily 104-year-old woman who is inspired by this boy to do great things, even though she's 104. And in the course of the book, you find out her whole backstory and her backstory so strongly resembles like Lillian Boxfish. This was a woman who was ahead of her time in a profession where there weren't a lot of women and there's a friendship that's really important to her. And you hear about these women's two histories, the history of, I think it's Ona, the 104 year old woman is what is going to get you on this book. And I think you're going to love her and want to root for her and want to hear more about her story. There's also some really weird cake in this book. It's like a tomato soup, chocolate cake or something (laughs) that people in our book club actually made and said was quite good. I'm not brave enough to try that myself, but it does have a little cooking nugget for you. How does that book sound? It sounds delightful. And I like what's her name already. I'm glad to hear it. It's been a few years since I've read it, but I think it's Ona. And Ona, if I'm wrong, I'm really sorry. You know, I love you. (laughs) Michael, of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? I think that I will read the City Baker Guide to Country Living next. It was the Aqua, wasn't it? I don't know what it was. I think I've had a lot of Queen Victoria in my life. I don't know. It's between the city baker or um, the one in a million. So between one of those, I think I need to get out of my Victoria obsession 
a little, like just step away from that for a moment, just a moment. So between one of those two, that's what's going to be. Well, I'm happy to help take you off the Victoria's train for a minute. And I can't wait to hear what you think of your next pick. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you so much for like, I feel like I just went to the book doctor. This is amazing. It's my pleasure. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Michael Lynn today, and I'd love to hear what you think she would enjoy reading next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 156, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Follow Michaelin at The Nester on Instagram and Twitter, and make sure to check out her book, The Cozy Minimalist Home, available now on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and wherever new books are sold. Coming next week, Georgia Hunter joins me to share how she turned three generations of her family's real-life story into an emotionally gripping historical novel. Here's a sneak peek. Originally, I went into it thinking it would be nonfiction, narrative nonfiction. And I did a ton of research. I, the whole process from start to finish for me took nine years. <laughs> and it was interesting for me because as the research unfolded, the bones of the story were there. Like I didn't have to create plot or storylines. It took a long time because I discovered as I went along, there weren't just one or two stories to tell. There were like six or seven stories to tell. So the, the family scatter at the start of the war and they each had their own individual paths to survival. But I'm a research nerd and a perfectionist and I just refuse to leave any stone unturned. And so in the end, I felt like, okay, well, I've done the research. I should write this as nonfiction. And I actually went as far as writing a proposal and thinking about pitching it that way. Because as you know, in the publishing world, it's two very different paths you take for fiction and nonfiction. But then as I got further down the road into actually writing the manuscript. I wanted dialogue. I wanted to put thoughts in their minds and in their hearts and people to really like step inside and into the shoes of these family members. And I didn't feel comfortable creating those conversations and thoughts and fears and all that emotional, really human stuff that wasn't passed down to me firsthand. I didn't feel comfortable calling that nonfiction. So in the end, that's why I decided to take it the historical fiction route. And I'm glad that I did because it allowed me a little bit more creative license to create those very colorful details that were not passed down in the bones of the story. I figured out who was where and when, but it's those those little details, even when it comes to things like setting that I had to do a lot of research for, but those are the details that really bring a story to life, right? That make you feel like you're there. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with the books next Tuesday. If you're on Twitter, let me know there, at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there, at Ann Bogle, and at What Should I Read Next. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.